research as a jumping off point to think about what might it mean to live in this world and started to develop a character. Um, and so Akinzyla became that character and she or they were a climate migrant from India who had landed in 2050 Tikaranto. My name is Amel Tabaku and welcome to ARCAD Initiative Podcast, Interviews with Political Artists. This is a series designed to inspire and encourage art activist processes in place to catalyze social change. On today's episode, we're talking about climate migration. As we're seeing climate change exacerbating drivers of traditional migration, prompting an increase in human displacement. Today, even though the intersection of climate change and migration has been extensively researched and continues to occur in higher rates than ever before, there remains a lack of an international binding specialized law instrument to properly address this issue. To elaborate on the relationship between performance art and climate migration, and to share her personal story, I'm thrilled to be joined by Tikaronto-based performance artist, writer and cultural producer Hima Batavia. Hima's practice focuses on the embodiment of cultural values that orient us towards possible futures and social systems defined by interconnectedness, care, and well-being. She draws on methodologies including design thinking and world-building tools, somatic experiencing, storytelling, play, and collaborative art making to guide participatory and emergent processes within virtual and in-real-life experiences in performances that offer opportunities for self and collective processing and inquiry. Her performance work has been showcased at the 2021 Myzeum's Intersections Festival, the Geary Art Crawl, the Annex Hotel, and published in Kajal magazine. Most recently, she was the curator of Desire Paths in partnership with Illuminato and From Later, the director of the Creative Placemaking Lab at Artscape, the co-founder of Reset and the co-producer of the four-day closing community festival for Honest Ads. Hima writes a weekly newsletter called Afternoon Dreams to process our cultural evolutions. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your community. We want this podcast to be a resource and a platform for collaboration, so please send us your questions or any other topic ideas for upcoming episodes. You can interact with us on Instagram at Arcad Initiative. You can also find Hima on Instagram at Hima underscore Batavia or learn more about her practice on her website at HimaBatavia.com. Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you live, and kind of how you're doing in the middle of everything that's been going on. My name is Hima Batavia and I identify as a South Asian cis woman who is able-bodied neurodivergent and living as a settler on the traditional territories of Tikaranto. Um, and I just got back after a month away out of the city. Um, I was in Europe because my partner, my partner's family lives in Ireland and I have family in London and then we ended up going to Finland. And so you know, I haven't traveled in two years, like most of us. And even though COVID was a huge thread throughout our traveling, it felt like such a privilege to have a change in environment and scenery. 
Yeah, and in terms of your art practice, um, Hima, can you speak a little bit about what you find important to convey within your artwork, um, where your ideas or philosophies, you know, come from, and what you're currently exploring? So my my practice is multidisciplinary in nature, uh, but it's rooted in performance art and experience, and so there is a strong thread of embodiment in um, in all of it. And what I mean by that is sort of being able to feel the the message um, rather than hear it or see it um, or view it, but actually have an embodied experience um, of what this issue or this topic um, might be. And that comes from having trained as a dancer for many years. So when I was much younger, I trained as a dancer um, in Indian classical dance form called Kathak. Uh, and then I spent a lot of my early years um, performing and being in large scale dance performances and choreographing and directing dance performances. And so I've always had a relationship with the body um, and um, experiencing art and um, experiencing art through the body. And then in terms of, you know, what else I like to convey through my art is really, you know, unpacking complexity and making my politics really clear um, and getting a sense of what are the various dimensions of any particular issue um, and how can I represent that um, visually, uh, through audio, through costume, through setting, through sound. So really using like all the elements of space and experience and set design uh, as artifacts and symbols of conveying the various dimensions of an issue that I'm exploring. Uh, and some of the things that I've worked on in the past have looked at labor um, and women's labor. Um, I've looked at climate change and I've looked at ancestry and more than human species. And um, and I think, you know, if I was gonna distill it, it's kind of thinking about uh, like, how do we coexist differently, you know? If, um, you know, how might we see who's been systemically invisibilized? How might we expand our conception of what it means to be a human, a soul, a spirit, and a living being? Um, and how might we shift our perspective or, you know, catalyze a sense of inquiry and reflection about how we see and know and experience the world? Yeah, for sure. And those are very, very important questions that uh, you're exploring, especially, you know, in today's age where a lot of uh, things seem to be very individualized, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a heightened um, exaggeration on, you know, self-care, self-love practice. We really forget what it means to be a part of communities and what it, what, uh, yeah, what it takes to, to continue building communities, what that may look like. Uh, so that's wonderful. And this really brings me to the next question. Um, you know, your work is spectacular and quite dense, especially when I'm thinking a bit about the seven hour long virtual performance that you held last year um, as part of Museum of Toronto series 
use this woman's work. Um, you know, there was um, a futurist exploration of climate migration um, and its nexus between human rights and indigenous livelihoods. So I was just a bit curious if you can walk us a little bit through this performance um, in terms of the symbols or elements that you used to draw these themes. Um, uh, when we're talking about climate refugee, refugees and indis indigenous dispossession, um, and how and why did you choose these particular elements within your work? How uh, basically mm -hmm. how everything came together? Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to know more. Yeah, it was a it was a deep project, um, and uh, it was part of a larger exhibition uh, called Women's Work, and uh, it was being presented by the Myzeum Intersections Festival, and it was curated by um, a small community organization called At The Moment, um, who had also collaborated with a foresight design studio called From Later. And we were supposed to exhibit um, that work literally the week of the pandemic in 2020. Uh, like we had been in the space, we were setting it up, thought everything was gonna be fine. And then of course it didn't happen. And so didn't really think about it for a number of months. And then they reached back out to me and said, would you still want to do something, but do it virtually? And at that point, it felt like the world had changed so much and I had changed. I was like, that work doesn't necessarily resonate with me and it wouldn't work in a virtual environment. And so I started to reimagine it. And the previous work was looking more at domestic labor. And so I started to think more like future forward uh, and um, from later had developed um, a research project called memory work and memory work is available online it is a beautiful meditation and um, on on the various themes that they projected might exist in a in a future world as it connects to women's labor and how we think about women's labor and so I that, used that research as a jumping off point to think about what might it mean to live in this world and started to develop a character. Um, and so Akinzyla became that character and she or they were a climate migrant from India who had landed in 2050 Tikaranto. So that was kind of the basic premise um, because I think, you know, projecting forward and thinking about the dimensions of projecting forward is like you can't ignore that we're going to be living in a, in a world that's been impacted by climate shifts and climate change. And so that was the jumping off point. And then I started to create that world and think about, you know, what are the politics of the world? What does community look at, like in that world? How does time work in that world? Um, what is our relationship with the living world and the natural world? Um, and started to kind of ask a lot of these questions. And, um, and in that world, there had been kind of a proverbial revolution and that there was like, a, uh, you know, the, the settler colonial state had been like, had, had there been a, a dismantling of the settler colonial state, like proverbial, like there was a moment when that had happened. And that power was seized. Um, and so we were living in a time where we were going through a process of rewilding, rewilding the land. And that was being led through indigenous and black leadership 
And there had sort of been a shared consensus amongst majority of the citizens that we were going to participate in the rewilding process. Um, and then a lot of the other themes were sort of looking at what does collective care look like? What does community look like? What does the infrastructure for community look like? But also how are we existing as a lot of our supply chains have been disrupted? So what are we eating? How are we connecting with food? And then also like acknowledging the reality that technology is still, you know, moving in a direction. And at that point, you know, I imagine the world as like a much more of a merging with the physical world and the the digital world. And so there wasn't as much of a separation. Um, and we kind of weave through physical and virtual worlds quite seamlessly. Um, but at the center of it, it was sort of a reframing of priorities. So like now I think we think about technology as the center of our world and, you know, everything else is sort of centered around it. But the shift was like, if community and the natural world is at the center, then how does like technology really enable that? Um, and so there was, uh, you know, some of in in the actual show, and and with performance art, you don't, you know, you don't um, you don't rehearse anything, right? So performance art is the practice of creating the 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 container so what are the the rules of this world what's the story of this world and then and then living it or or you know allowing it to emerge in process with uh with the audience so it's a shared experience in that way so i had never lived that day before i just created the set and i'd written the story and thought about ways to bring in that infrastructure and then i just lived it and so why it was seven hours was like, you know, what does it take to truly embody an idea? Um, and and obviously there's like the pre-process of it. But after seven hours, I was like, I was in it. Like it took me days, you know, to, to come back. And obviously like method acting is is a very similar type of process. And, um, and so it, it, it was really fascinating to like feel a lot of these concepts, these like intellectual concepts land in my body because I had like worked with them with my hands and with my mouth and with, you know, with my language and like with other people. Um, but in that set that I created, you know, some of the artifacts were like, there was a tank where I was growing algae because I was part of a cooperative where we grew algae and algae had become a main source of food, of biofuel, of um, of like sustainable fabrics and materials. Um, there was uh, a, a greenhouse um, to not only create a connection like with the living world, but obviously as partly a source of food as well. And then there was um, an AI companion. So an ancestral intelligence companion that was called the mirror. And mirror was like my, because we had, because in the process of rewilding, we were spending so much time indoors. Um, uh, the mirror was uh, was a way to not only create connection, but to support and facilitate connection with all the various different types of communities that I was a part of, even if I was a part of them virtually. Um, and so, and then there was like community infrastructure that I had been plugged into as a migrant. So, you know, when we think about migrants that come to Canada right now is like, what is the process of settlement? 
right? There's like, there's a process of settlement. Some of it's effective, some of it's very challenging. In many ways, people are left to navigate systems on their own. Um, but how can technology actually be a facilitator um, in plugging you into the type of communities and community supports and networks that you might need? And so I was part of one community network that was called Kinships. And that was kind of a care collective where you intentionally cared for one another. Um, and then I also was part of a nurture collective where we were co-parenting a single child that had been born from a process that we called hybridized, hybridized surrogacy. Um, and so, yeah, there was, there was kind of this imagining of what different types of community infrastructure could look like, um, how to prioritize well-being even in challenging circumstances and um, and also participate in the process of rewilding and healing the land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds wonderful and very fitting to the context of, you know, the fact that we are very much nearing the second year of the pandemic. Everything has been moved to a digital space. Climate dispossession is happening at higher rates than ever before. Um, you know, in terms of uh, when we're seeing governmental kind of inaction towards climate change, um, the definition of climate refugees has been around for um, like for the past decade, two decades, I would say as well, right since since the 90s. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's wonderful to see how you've really thought out all of the systems that could be a part of this community infrastructure that you're referring to. Um, and in terms of kind of the processes and plays that you're um, highlighting, um, is there there any component did this is just a little advice for those emerging youth art activists who are looking to uh, get their work out there who are looking to shift more into political um, art practice um, how would you define your process um, is it more de deliberate uh, intuitive experimental or does it really merge all all of these components it seems mm -hmm. like there's a lot of research that also goes behind uh, into this particular performance a piece that you just mentioned um so yeah yeah, I, I would say it's it, it is a bit of all three of them, absolutely, which I think makes for a really rich creative process and just kind of knowing, you know, where each of them fit. And so I think when you're starting um, a project, you know, you start off with a vision of some sort or an, an intention at the very least, and that becomes deliberate around like, what are you trying to say? Um, you know, what is your position and, and what informs that position? And that's kind of where I think a lot of the research comes in and in getting a sense of like, you know, what is the history of this issue? What is like the current status of it in the context that I live in? What is my place as it relates to this issue? You know, where where is it being performed and what is the connection between that space and the performance? Um, so really like, I think where the deliberation for me comes in is like in the process of creating a container. What is the nature of that container? And um, and and the research I think really like grounds that. And then once the container has been shaped, so you know I can give you an example. I um, I was invited to do a performance at the Annex Hotel, which is um, a hotel at Bathurst and Bloorish. No, actually, it's a little bit, anyways, it's around that area. <laughs> and they were doing, um, I had a friend who was curating like the opening experience, the opening party when it opened a few years ago. And she invited me to, you know, take over a room and do something in the room. 
And so it was pretty like open space. But I started to think about, okay, what do I want to do? What is a hotel? Like, what is a hotel room? Like, what does that represent to me? Um, which sort of led me to think about like hotel labor and maids and cleaners um, that that really operate hotels, right? They're like systematically invisibilized, but there's no hotel without the the service of, of those employees. And so they're, you know, chronically underpaid and overworked and have a number of physical challenges. And so that's like, I started to develop that concept and then started to think about um, what does that look like in Canada? You know, who are hotel workers in, in Canada? What are the politics? Are they unionized? You know, what are some of the challenges that they're facing? What are the demographics? Um, what what organizing has been happening, et cetera, et cetera. And so that started to create the container. And then I started to think about what's the message that I want to share? How might I do that through performance? How might I do that through installation, through lighting, through the set? And so I created an installation of like floor to ceiling um, towels that were uh, folded and had words on them various words on them. And then I, my performance was folding a single towel for three hours straight. Um, and I, I wore um, like a mask over me. Like it was, um, it was tights. So I looked like you couldn't see my, you could sort of see my face, but not really. And then there was an audio piece that was playing at the same time, um, which was a poem. And it was read by a hotel worker, um, a migrant hotel worker that lived in, in Ticoronto. And so the, like the different elements sort of came together to then create this like embodied experience where people came in and they would listen and watch and, um, and take in the various elements. So the part of it that's deliberate is really upfront. And then I think the experimental and intuitive come like at the other end. Um, and it, where it's experimental is that I never know how a performance is gonna go because I don't rehearse it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this thing and then see how it goes. And then the intuition I think comes from like, how is someone going to feel in a space is like really getting a sense of how people might move in space and take in the different senses. Yeah. And have there been any moments where the performance didn't really turn out the way you hoped for, or maybe it was way better than you would have expected? I think like, um, like with the towel performance, I think it went way better than I could have ever expected. Um, it's one of the first things that I did as a performance artist. Mm. I think with Uck and Zyla, there were parts of it that maybe didn't go as I imagined it. Um, and part of the challenge of that was that because I was performing digitally, I was at a gallery for seven hours pretty much by myself. So I had, um, my partner was one of the characters, they were in a different room. And then there was the pro two producers on set, but they were like really quiet. But the thing with performance is that it's an energy exchange, right? Like we're, we are unfolding together. And so what I felt with Uck and Zyla is like, I didn't see anybody or hear anybody. Like there were parts of it where I heard messages from people and you know, the AI mirror was conveying messages that people were typing online. So there was like a little bit of interaction, but I couldn't feel people's energy. 
And I think when you can't feel people's energy, your intuition on how to move through the performance is cut off. And so it can feel a little clumsy and a little clunky is what I reflected on after. You know, virtual creates like a different, it, it creates a different set of parameters that aren't good or bad. They're just different. Um, but they are, they are challenging to learn. Like it probably takes like more practice. Mm -hmm, for sure. And it reminds me of what you were saying earlier that uh, migrants will have challenges and kind of navigating systems that they're just thrown into, especially when they're settling into a, a new land. And it seems like what you may have experienced with the challenge itself of not knowing how everything is unfolding around you is very similar to what a migrant would really feel like. For sure. It was a new environment and mm -hmm. there's a vulnerability in newness. Yeah, of course. And then performance itself, um, I would say. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, um, Hima, you have talked a little bit about your relationship between your identity and your current practice. A lot of uh, our listeners aren't really aware of uh, your professional background as well. Did you want to speak a little bit about the merging of your identity, your career um, and uh, your current practice and how uh, all of these have evolved over time? You know, when I was younger, I trained as a dancer um, in Indian classical dance in Kathak um, for over 10 years and then, you know, participated in a lot of different dance competitions. But I, I never had the cultural permission to become a dancer. Like art wasn't available to me as a actual and real profession. And coming back into my artistry has been a journey. Um, and... At the beginning of my career, I worked in international development and global health for over a decade. I worked across India and Africa with sort of large scale agencies like the United Nations Foundation and the Clinton Health Access Initiative. And that work was, you know, really formative in shaping my worldview um, in social justice and systemic change and community organizing and facilitating. And so a lot of those themes actually show up in my work right now. Which is all to say, you know, trust your journey, trust your path. Like it all sort of, it all comes together in ways that you can't really imagine while you're in it. Um, and then I moved back to Toronto. I was living in New Delhi. I moved back to Toronto in 2014. And I started to transition out of international development and global health because it was work um, that I didn't want to do living in the West. And I wasn't sure that I could live in the North for the, for the long term. So I started to transition um, and it kind of took me on a journey of co-founding an organization called Reset, uh, which designed an immersive experience, a four day tech free immersive experience for adults. Um, and that organization still exists today. I currently sit on the board of it. Um, but The, the idea was to disconnect to reconnect, you know, how can we create an experience where adults can go, um, can leave the city, can be closer to nature, deeper in connection with nature and experiment with new ways of connection and relating to each other through play. And so we programmed the entire experience and designed it and brought a lot of intentionality. And so that led to then Um, cultural producing and produce, designing experiences and producing them. Um, I co-produced a, a four-day community arts festival 
at Honest Ed's um, to mark the closing of that iconic retail building. And we transformed 100,000 square feet into an art maze and collaborated with over 300 artists and arts organizations. And there were installations and pop-up theater and music and parties and a market. Um, and, and so I continued on that path. And then I joined Artscape for a year as the director of the Creative Placemaking Lab and there produced and worked on public art projects. And, you know, slowly I was starting to step into my own practice. And yeah, so now I kind of straddle both worlds. You know, I love collaborating and working with artists and the process of curating and programming and designing and producing experiences. Um, and then also pursuing my own practice, which is always evolving and shifting. Um, it's been rooted in performance art, but I've also experimented with audio and experiences and, um, and you know, hope to do some things in film and photography. So I really see myself as a multidisciplinary artist um, who came into it much later stage and is navigating what it means to be an older artist. Yeah, for sure. And uh, uh, during this transition, have there been any major influences, artists or collectives that have really inspired, perhaps continue to inspire your work today? In performance art, Marina Abramovich is just the pioneer. Like she like created the method for performance art in so many ways. And she continues to to deliver work, which is like so wild to me. Like I think she's like 70 plus but she's like going for it. Um, she still is the bar in so many ways because she took so many risks in her practice, like so many personal and physical risks in her practice. And so when I think about courage and like what I think I can step into, I still look to her as like that bar of like how to, how to push my own edge. For sure, yeah. I feel like she definitely redefined performance art for a lot of contemporary artists uh, today. Um, this is a question um, that hopefully, you know, uh, it would help uh, emerging youth art activists who are looking to gain more visibility in terms of getting their work out there to the community. Of course, you may have uh, encountered challenges transitioning from more uh, traditional career to the arts world yourself. Uh, but I'm just a little bit curious as to how you get your work seen today. Um, especially considering that everything is moving uh, to more digital space. How do you continue to maintain that network of uh, community artists? You know, I think like with visibility, my feeling is to be true to yourself. So I think we, we live in a world where, you know, there's a lot of pressure to be online in a certain way. Um, and, and I think some people really thrive at that and they're really good at that. And it becomes like a platform for them to express themselves and connect with the community. But I think for others, like that's just not the way. And there's so many artists in the world and there are so many ways to do things, you know, like there's not a single way. There's as many artists whose practice is very visible online as there isn't, right? Who artists that work really deeply in community or work in, you know, um, work in physical space or public space or in galleries or, you know, just in connection with community. The first thing I would say is like, be true and honest to yourself, you know, have an honest conversation about like where you really think you can develop 
genuine relationships. Like I really struggle with being on social media because I know it's not for me. And that's not, that doesn't mean I fully want to cut myself off, but it's not like a place where I can see myself thriving. So then it becomes this clumsy relationship, right? Where I'm like trying to do social media, but it's like not really an authentic and genuine like expression of myself. Um, I really love being able to collaborate with organizations that have more visibility, riding the coattails of other organizations. The thing that's challenging about being an artist is figuring out the ways to financially support yourself. So can you create a little bit of stability so you can then apply for opportunities that may not pay immediately, um, but may pay in, in some sort of connection, relationship, like visibility, whatever that looks like. That's always worked really well for me, is like being able to piggyback on other organizations <laughs> who already have the visibility mm -hmm. and the credibility and the connection and relationships with community. I think it's, I think it's really hard to, to go at it on your own, you know? But we all have most likely the average person has like some kind of privilege of some kind of community, right? I didn't go to art school, for example. So I don't have the privilege of like an artist community. I don't have 30 artists that I were, was in class with that I know that I can like call on. But I have other privileges and that I've worked with, you know, industry and organizations. And so I have other types of connections that might support me in invisibility. Um, but I also think, honestly, the work always finds its way into visibility. People always find good work and, and, and whatever good work is, right? You'll always find the people that resonate with your work. And it might not initially be hundreds of millions of people. It might initially be a hundred people, but a hundred people online doesn't feel like a lot, but a hundred people coming to your house is a lot of people. And so to value the people that do show up for your work um, and, and know that it can grow, but that it can, it can grow in depth. It yeah. can grow in different directions, horizontally, vertically. It doesn't, it doesn't all look the same. It's not all likes and numbers of followers, even though that is, you know, if that's important to you, that's okay. As long as you're honest about it. Thank you, especially to the young crowds really do thrive through social media. It's finding the right outlet for your work, whatever that uh, that work looks like, whoever the audience is that, you know, you would like to engage with the most as well. So thank you for that, Hima. That would be the last question, but I'm still, uh, you know, wanting to know if you're working on any projects right now that you're excited about and you wanted to share, of course, if you can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm working on... Um one proposal uh so we got sh me and a and a, a collaborator we got shortlisted for a second round for a public art project in toronto as part of a sort of a large like revitalization project around housing and it's a it's a really challenging project because i think when you take on any social justice issue there's just inherent complexity in it and it's not it's not straightforward, you know, you're always sort of working in between like state politics and capitalism and, you know, settler colonial logics and like this kind of reimagination that might also look like abolition or, or whatever your, your politic is around it. And so trying to navigate it is extremely challenging, um, but also a beautiful challenge and 
I think for me, the best kind of art is like a process that is also connected to your own unfolding and healing and growth and expansion. Like they happen simultaneously. And I think like all the, the work that I've done and all the work that I'm drawn to, like that's been true. There's a part of it that's just like about me and my own internal world and my own journey. And then there's a part that's like in connection to those who experience it. And then there's a part that's connected to the culture and connected to these broader ideas of system change and raising consciousness. Yeah, it's, it's been like a really beautiful process. We don't know if we'll win it. We're like one of five that have been shortlisted. If we do, it's a, it's a pretty big project and it'll be executed over five years. Wow, that's yeah, really so exciting. Yeah, it's long term. Mm -hmm. It's like something pretty new for me. Mm -hmm. um, having like been on the other side of producing public art, um, it's really nice to be on this side and thinking about actually how to how to bring a project to life. So yeah, that'll that's kind of taking up a lot of my headspace over the next few weeks. Wonderful. And when uh, will the finalists be announced? I think by April. All right. We'll stay in touch and hopefully you win it. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Well, that concludes this interview. So I do want to thank you once again, Hima, for just coming out here and sharing a little bit about your practice and yeah, where, how you're currently doing. Um, so thank you for that. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Don't forget to share the story with friends and family and loved ones. And don't forget to connect with us online at RCAT Initiative. See you soon.